Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to guest episode 94 of Good Humans Podcast. Thank you so much for continuing to tune into this podcast. You guys seriously blow me away every week. It's just so cool to know that you guys are tuning in, listening to these incredible stories and taking some moments out of everyone's story and trying to add it into your life. And that's something that hopefully everyone who listens to this is trying to do. Listen to every episode with a bit of a curious mind. What could I learn from this person's story? What can I pull out of it and add into my own life? And what, yeah, can I get out of every single episode? If it's your first time tuning in today, thank you so much. Please go and hit the like or subscribe button. It would be epic to have you check out a few more of our episodes. There's so many incredible guests to look back on from scientists to doctors to social media stars, athletes, performers, just you name it. There's a range of incredible people who have just shared their knowledge, shared their life story and really inspired me and so many others now. So go back and check them all out. Make sure you leave us a little review if you're enjoying it as well. And yeah, leave us five stars. All right, today's sponsor, as always, Drink a Rep, the brain performance drink. They've been taking care of my brain and this podcast for a few months now, about six, eight months actually. And yeah, seeing so many benefits in my life using this product. It's a neuroscience drink, really good for your brain, good for short-term performance, long-term brain health, developed by neuroscientists. It's pretty much the most amazing product I've ever consumed. So if you want to check it out, go to drinkarepper.com, use the code GOODHUMAN, you get a massive 25% off. Also, if you're on the Gold Coast this weekend, this episode's coming out on a Friday. If you're around tomorrow, it's very last minute. I'm hosting a brain morning, a mindful morning with Drinker Rapper and Lululemon, 15 minutes um, gratitude, 30 minutes of yoga, 15 minutes of meditation. It's going to be an hour just for you. If you're around the area, come down Mermaid Beach Surf Club across the road right in front of the beach. There's a little park. I'm going to set up a tent. We're going to have a bunch of yoga mats and yeah, we're just going to have a mindful morning trying out some drinker rapper as well. So come on down. It's a free event. All right. Today's episode is with the legend Sam Moore. He is a mate of mine. It's actually funny. I've got two really, I've got one best mate, Sam Moore, who helps me a lot with my merch um, and my business. But then also there's another Sam Moore on the Gold Coast who has a different clothing label called Pyra. And he's been hooking me up clothes for the last couple of years. I loved getting to know his story and learn about the industry when it comes to, um, yeah, merchandise, growing a business, failing at a business, but then restarting. And yeah, it was a really cool story. Sam's a great guy. Um, it's, it's so funny having two Sam Moores, but anyway, like close to me in my life, but this was a great story. I'm going to get the other Sam Moore on one day as well, but yeah, Sam Moore, Pyro Sam Moore, bloody legend. I loved getting to know this story. Um, make sure you go check out all of his awesome clothing label. It's, really cool it's pretty much the stuff that I live in I've been wearing his stuff for the last couple years basically since he started it and yeah I'm a big fan of the 
clothes that he puts out, super high quality, super technical stuff. And yeah, bloody love it. So let's jump into his story. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Sam Moore. How you going, mate? <laughs> good, man. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's it's good to have you here. You've got the first person in my new kind of upgraded studio here in my bedroom. Yeah, loving um, it. Yeah, it's kind of cool. We've got the black backdrop for anyone who's watching on YouTube, you yep. can see. And if you're not watching on YouTube, go check it out. But man, it's great to have you here. To be honest, you're probably... I thought you'd be the second Sam Moore I'd have it on my podcast. Oh, really? Have, you haven't met my friend Sam Moore no. yet, have you? No. Have I, I told you this story even? I don't think so. So the guy who helps me with all of my merch, funnily enough, mm. and like who's one of my best mates, is Sam Moore as well. Oh, no shit. He does fist motorbike gloves and oh, stuff. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I first met you, because I think I met you first, and yeah. then I met him and I like followed him on social media, and I was like, wait is a second. The same guy? <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, there's two Sam Moores on the Gold Coast. But yeah. anyway... We're here with you and I'm absolutely pumped to get to know your story because yeah, we've been sure. um, we've known each other for a couple of years now. You've been hooking yeah. me up with your awesome clothing that you do with Pyra, but we're going to get to know your story a bit better. So Cool, man. Easy. Let's go into it. The first question I ask everyone on this podcast is, what are you grateful for right now? Um, I'm grateful that I live in the Gold Coast. Um, it's been a, you know, an awesome transition from, you know, living in Sydney um, for 13 years um, and then moving back up here. Well, not back up here. Moving up here has been awesome. Um, creating new friends up here and, you know, starting this new business up here. It's, um, yeah, I'm super grateful for that. Me too. And something yeah. that I, when I grew, I grew up in Sydney and I mm. always knew how beautiful the Gold Coast was, but I just yeah. didn't think it was the right fit for me. And now that I've been here for a couple of years, I'm like, I don't think I'll ever move back. Oh, 100%. I, yeah. If you'd asked me five years ago, like, would I live in the Goldie? I was like, mm, nah, no way. But like, since transitioning up here, it's like, you can't beat the lifestyle, man. Like, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> but man, today is all about your story. First thing we actually do on this podcast, you actually know the product. Drink a Rapper are our sponsors yeah. from over in New Zealand, just like you. Yeah, Gussie Boy. might be able to tell with your <laughs> accent. So yeah. what we do is um, a bit of an a Rapper cheers. You do know the product, but it is... um. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, cheers. It is our brain drink to keep us kind of focused for this next hour. We are today we're drinking the calm and clarity one, the fizzy one, which to be honest is my favorite. I love the little lightly sparkling one. But yeah, it's got a bunch of good stuff in there for our brain. I don't know how much you know about it, but it's got the New Zealand black currant in it. It's also got L theanine, pine bark extract. Yeah. And yeah, it's gonna make our brain perform for this chat. So awesome. Shout out to a rapper and the team over there. Um let's go back to the start of your story. Where'd you grow up? What was life like? What was sort of family dynamics as a kid from what you can remember sort of up to high school? Yeah, so like I grew up in Hawke's Bay um, in New Zealand, which is um, kind of like a small town on the east coast of New Zealand. Um, I grew up surfing, grew up skiing a lot. So there's like a mountain like only a couple of hours away um, because it's right on the coast. Um, you know, it was there's all, the surfers are never really that good and it's cold, but there are waves and I definitely got into it then. Um, you know, I went, I grew up with, um, a sister, Hannah, um, my parents broke up when they were, when I was about, I think about 10. Um, so then I always kind of had two kind of families. Um, dad would always take me out of school and take me skiing. It was like a kind of like a, a thing for, like to bond over, which was cool. Um, and yeah, went to, went to Lindisfarne college, which is, um, kind of a private school in Hawke's Bay an all boys school wouldn't say I loved school at all like that was always like a bit of a challenge um kind of never really loved being told what to do um and fitting into like a pretty strict public uh private school is like can be kind of brutal um so that was always a, a challenge you know I always just wanted to go out and do sport and you know whatever 
um, skiing was like a really big focus for me, like um, during from age kind of 15 to about 20. Um, you know, I used to compete um, competitively for freestyle skiing. Yeah. Spent a lot of time um, down in the South Island, um, like Queenstown and Wanaka, and had sponsors and stuff, um, and pushed it like pretty hard. I broke a lot of bones. <laughs> um, you know, I've seen you snowboarding and skiing before as well, and you know, like the snow's not as soft as it looks. Um, and yeah, I just yeah smashed myself a lot, and yeah, broke a lot of bones in my body. But I still absolutely love it. Um, I then from there went down to University of Otago. Let's rewind just for a bit. I want to talk about this chapter of your life just quickly because yeah, I yeah. feel like I can relate quite a bit being mm. in those last few years of high school and having your future and your goals really be set around being a competitive athlete. And especially yeah. in an extreme sport, it can be a career path that is pretty risky and it can be yeah. a career path that quite often is hard to get support from family to get support from people around you. Cause they see it's like, yeah. eh, that's not really a career path. What was it like being at a private school, having, I guess, some money put into your education by your family and then be into an extreme sport like skiing? How was, um, yeah. How was your academic side of school as well? Yeah. Like the skiing side of thing wasn't really recognized at our school. Like it was such a traditional sport. It was like rugby, cricket, um, or tennis, you know, and those were the sports that, you know, you got your like colors in or whatever. So, you know, me being in a, a skier externally from the school, like it was never really recognized. Um, and that was pro that was kind of a pretty brutal thing. Um, you know, I knew that I was, you know, technically a pretty good skier at that stage in in my life. And, um, not being able to get the kind of support from the school. Like my parents would obviously like, you know, take me to competitions and stuff, which was awesome. Um, but yeah. And like going back to like the school kind of thing, like, you know, now I know like school never, like learning never came like supernaturally to me. Um, I'm a creative person. So like design and stuff like was awesome. And that was super good. Um, but now knowing how I learn, um, you know, I'm a, I listen to a shitload of podcasts and audiobooks, And I think like if I had had that knowledge back then of um, me listening and taking in um, books, that would have been a game changer. And it was something that like, I didn't really um, realize until like, I was probably like my mid twenties or something, right? Like it was just like, you know, re reading, maybe it's like a little bit of dyslexia, um, you know, the ADD kind of stuff like comes into play for sure you know, having a like, super short attention span, being able to get sidetracked all the time. Mm. Um, and if I'm not like super into it, I'm just like, it's so hard to drill into me. And that's where like the traditional school just like, it doesn't work, right? Like, yeah. Um, and even like the, like going down to uni, like, you know, I was, the only reason why I went to uni was because everyone else did. Like, I remember calling up my friend who was a year ahead of me down in Dunedin and being like, oh, like, yo, like what are you studying down there? And he's like, oh, I'm doing like, a BA in design. And I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. Is it easy? And he's like, yeah, it's pretty easy. And I was like, sweet, I'll just do that. <laughs> you know, like there was not really that much structure in terms of like, you know, this was like the fun, um, the, the plan moving forward. It was just like, you know, I think you're just pretty, I'm a quite a cruisy person anyway. Mm. And I think like during that stage in your life, it was just like, you know, as long as you're with all your boys and like, you, you know, it was close to the mountains down there. I was like, sweet, that'd be, that'd be epic. Yeah, it's so interesting you bring that up. I feel like the schooling system, like you said, is failing quite a lot of us because mm. 
we don't all fit into that one mold. And the some one thing that I like to talk about quite often is the fact that at school you kind of get taught that there's like one answer. It's like they're the definitive answer usually for a question. Whereas yeah. once you get into the real world, especially in the design and creative world, you realize there's so many ways that you can come to a correct answer or, or a successful answer. Hmm. But at school we don't get taught that there's that much abstract to sort of 100%. problem solving. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I feel like as well what you sort of said there is really interesting the fact that at school we all get ex- we're all expected to learn the same way yeah whereas what i try and encourage students when i go and do my school workshops <clears throat> is like the best thing you can do at school is learn how to learn yeah learn how to absorb information and put it into action learn how to like ask the right questions to your teacher learn how to actually use the resources you have around you yeah to inc- like to soak in knowledge rather than it be about getting the quest the answers right it's about how well can you sort of take what you've got and come out with like an outcome yeah like i vividly like remember sitting in like an algebra class i mean like when am i ever going to need this shit in my Mm. life you know and like taking that kind of mentality about it and like the numbers thing like as a kind of a creative it like it didn't come naturally and it was just like fuck man like what you know (laughs) yeah yeah it just becomes frustrating more than anything and that's i think when the attention span goes and you know you know you're just not focused on it right mm. so yeah. when you did finish school yeah where did you see the next sort of couple of years be like all right i'm going to give this um professional skiing thing a crack did Pretty you have much. yeah a bit of support from sponsors to keep you going and be able yeah. to travel did you go around the world and travel at all or no it was more just like because i was based down in dunedin um doing a ba down there so i was Pretty so, you dropped, so you finished school and went down and yep. signed up to uni while you were still competing yep. or still yeah yeah it's like the freestyle skiing thing um back in like oh six was pretty cruisy like yeah. um you know freestyle skiing wasn't even at like x games and shit then right mm. like it hadn't quite hit that stage um snowboarding was like pretty big then but the freestyle skiing was kind of a little bit secondary so i was just doing all the local comps um you know like in Wanaka and Queenstown, um, like heaps of rail jams. Like that was kind of a big thing in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they were real good times. And, you know, I think like, then I like going to uni, like Dunedin's um, a student town and it's like super known. It's like been a big party town. And I think like, you know, when you're down there with like 200 of your mates and like you're far away from all your parents and all of these kids are just chucked in this uni, like it's pretty good times. Um, you know, you can um get pretty distracted down there um and i think having that distraction then also hurting myself heaps skiing you know it wasn't a kind of a good combo and you know it just kind of fizzled out i still like love skiing but i tend to break something every time i go <laughs> oh, that's the worst. I'm like, yeah. yeah skiing and like just extreme sports in general i've got so many mates who are extreme yeah. sport athletes that just like every like there's so many injuries always oh. i'm actually so lucky i've never broken a bone i'm just serious no yeah. worry i'm touch wood but i mean even hey, like, i got to the end of my surf career without yeah. breaking a bone like i'm touch wood but i'm good that's amazing water's a bit softer than the snow it is slightly yeah. a little bit but so once you kind of realize you know what skiing isn't really a career path yeah were you like all right i want to create a brand i want to go into when you started doing design at uni was yeah, did you do design at uni yeah i did a ba in graphic design okay um but yeah creating a brand like that's always been 
a passion. I remember like being in um, high school and just like drawing and like coming up with brand names. Mm. Um, and, you know, like whether that was tied into skiing or streetwear or whatever, I hadn't really kind of thought out further than that. It was more just like creating brand. Yeah. And then when I, um, I'd always worked in like fashion retail, like throughout my, basically since I was like 15. So I was always exposed to that. And, you know, that was always like an interest of mine. Um, but the design degree down in, um, that I did had nothing to do with fashion. It was like graphic design, Yeah. but like looking back on it, like that was the perfect foundation for what I'm doing now. Mm. Um, you know, like I became a pro illustrator, um, Photoshop and InDesign, like basically the three main programs that you need to do to start a brand, like, mm. you know, to do your tech packs, to do artwork, to do drawing or whatever. Um, because mine was a, a BA, um, I had to take like these other bullshit kind of subjects just to get the degree. Uh-huh. Um, so like, for example, I remember like I did like film and media class and then I did like a drama class and it was like these ones that I had to take just to get the whole qualification. But again, it was just like, it was such a pain. Like I got done for plagiarism a couple of times because i was like down skiing with mates and just handed in the essays <laughs> <laughs> and i got caught a couple of times which costed me heaps because it was like they fail you on the whole semester so it was like boom six grand <laughs> oh no but yeah so that was pretty brutal and um what so, were you doing for work to make some money while you were in the town i know you dj'd a little bit so was, yeah, yeah that's like um what i really kind of got into like um I started DJing in I think second year uni, like me and a buddy just in our like flat. Uh, we moved like pretty quickly to be, like taking over this bar in um, Dunedin and um, which was awesome. Um, and we were able, like I kind of took it pretty seriously for about four years DJing and played like, you know, Rhythm and Vines Festival and like some big festivals and a heap of club nights and kind of created like a brand around myself and my buddy, um, we were we dj'd under trash disco that was like our name um which is pretty classic like in that full like electro kind of era um but you know we were earning like we were able to charge like a thousand bucks a gig because we just had like such a big crew that would Mm. always turn up to the bars and it was like you know in that kind of like party kind of scene it was like you know that's all the promoters want is they just want to fill their bar so we were like sweet you know that's just what we charge so that was able to like kind of fund it but Mm. um yeah that's kind of what kept us going. Yeah, yeah, nice. So then when you got to, I guess, your early 20s, you're getting yep. towards the end of your degree. Yeah. Did you want to go and work in the system for somebody else with your design skills that you've gathered or was it straight into, you yeah. know what, I want to start my own thing? No. Um, so based, I think there was about 14 of us moved over to Bondi from Dunedin. Um, what what made or, you move, or what was the we'd like we'd spent yeah we'd like spent a few summers over in Aussie, and we're just like fuck like that's the spot to be like a bit more opportunity, heaps more opportunity, you know, um, you know, better lifestyle, better climate, way better pay for yeah. like you know your basic jobs, yeah. Um, and so yeah, that was basically like what set it off, and you know, I, I like one of the first jobs that I took was just like working retail at General Pants. Um, just to kind of get my foot in the door and then and the visas are pretty <clears> easy for New Zealand eh? it's good agreement between Aussie yeah there's no visas so no you can visa. we can just roll in and out Sick. yeah um which is sweet and work <laughs> yep yeah yeah you don't have there's no paperwork yeah it's oh, kind of yeah. cruisy um so yeah I did that so how old were you when you moved over 
that was 2008 so it would have been 2015 yeah yeah no crazy crazy yeah um so yeah we like I worked in retail for a bit and then I got my kind of first break um doing an internship at Vulcan through a buddy when you moved was the mindset I'm moving to Australia forever this is kind of my path when you were moving or were you Um, like oh I'll go try it for a year yeah I don't know it's just honestly like 15 years have just gone like that. Yeah. I still don't even know if I'm going to live here forever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, like true. it's just kind of cruising, man. Like yeah, yeah. just kind of take it as it comes. Um, but yeah, so I got a kind of my first break, like um, an internship with Volcom. And then that stepped me into basically just a heap of roles within the industry as a graphic designer. Yeah. Um, I kind of, my next kind of bigger break was I became head designer for General Pants. Wow. Um, and did that for four years which was epic. And that was like when General Pants was like proper popping off, like they had all the fun parties, like everywhere. I mean, yeah. I mean, no, like, yeah. I've, I've been very lucky. I've been sponsored since I was 11 year, 11 mm. years old and been getting free stuff from Rip Curl until I was 16 and then <laughs> yeah. Hurley until I was 24. So I very rarely went to the shops to buy stuff. But yeah. if I did go to the shops because it was like, oh, the cool, like I kind yeah. of swear my rip curl denims like i gotta go buy a pair of the subi jeans or something from general pants was probably the only store that i ever went to as a kid so that was probably in that era not a kid like as a teenager which 10 years ago which would have been when you were probably there 100 percent. that was like the go-to like if you were a a cool retail guy you were working at general pants so if you had a head creative creative director um so i was just head designer so i um designed their in-house brands like one of them was um standard that i did and it was cool because we got like travel opportunities to go overseas. So we did like New York and LA um, on buying trips, which is epic, um, cool. you know, to getting paid. Like it was like, this is the dream job. Like, yeah. you know, getting paid to travel the world, design like a shitload of products. Like, I think that was probably the best thing, you know, we would, as a designer, we're designing like 300 garments a year. Wow. And so it was able to like, trial and test so many things in the market and you just kind of just get to know what works and your customer and you know like work out where what's not working and the failures there so and it was a good like thrown in the deep end kind of situation but i worked with um it was a cool era so like there were the other designers that were there at the time it was me um then Dan Oliver and Lee, who left to start Assembly Label. Pip Edwards was there. She left to start P Nation. Um, and then Ben Turner was there. He left to start um, Peopleverse. And then I started another brand on the side at the time called Dead, Dead Studios. And then, yeah, I after those four years, I eventually left there and started Dead full-time. So it was a cool little kind of creative era where, you know, we were – able to like absorb like a shitload of product and general pants and then we all just all of their people <laughs> yeah. went and started their own business yeah, and then sell like, back to general pants totally yeah that's legit what I happened mean, i guess they need new stuff coming into their stores anyway yeah right yeah. so when you left i know starting a business is bloody hard and i'm a bit different obviously structured yeah. to the way that you would have set up your business but what was that stage like in your life when you're late 20s probably very similar to my age yeah. right now did you have much acumen for starting a business? Tell Man, me some I mistakes that you made at the start. Dude, like I, you... I knew nothing. Like I remember like Google was my best friend. I would Google like how to, you know. Write an invoice. Literally, bro. Like <laughs> yeah, literally starting from scratch, <laughs> man. Like 
I, I knew product. That was the thing I knew. I knew how to design product and knew how to make product in China. I already had the contacts. So the product thing was sweet. It was like, okay, design. yeah. And then like I knew how to set up a Shopify store and do yeah. a photo shoot and upload shit like that. Mm-hmm. But it was the back end stuff that was like, I was like, Matt, like I really knew nothing. And that's kind of at that stage, um, I just like drilled it into me. I'm one of those sort of people and maybe that's the the ADD, but I kind of get hyper-focused on something. Um, and I think that was like through the looking back in my different eras, it was like skiing was that, and then it was DJing mm-hmm. and then it was like, all right, brand. Um, and so, yeah, I just went yeah, all in on it, man. Like drilled myself Did you do it by yourself. Yeah. Partner um, at the stage at the start by myself. Um, and you know, like I was packing, I'd get like, you know, call it like 20 orders a day and I'd leave at lunchtime from general pants, go to the Australian post, post them at lunchtime, come back to work and did that for as long as I could, man. Mm. And, um, you know, I always kind of like give advice to people like starting brands and it's like, you just have to do it for as long as possible until you can't, um, you know, and I think we got up to doing about 180 K that year but while i still had a full-time job before i made the leap to do it full-time 180k in sales or 180k yeah. in revenue uh yeah well revenue oh, sales yes yeah. revenue yeah Fuck, I don't know. not sales. not profit not profit sorry that's <laughs> yeah, what yeah. i was looking for yeah sick so once it starts really moving had yeah. you employed someone else before no, you'd left no definitely not then i got like this little shop um down on Bondi Road. So that would be initially just online and then you went yep. to Shopfront. Yeah, I was started wholesaling though. Yeah, um, okay. Only like small accounts. I didn't have any majors on board at that stage. Um, I then got this little store on Bondi Road um, and it was like literally 50 square meters, like not much bigger than this room. Mm-hmm. And I kind of set it up as like a semi office, but also a retail shop, partnered with like all press coffee and had like a dope coffee machine at the front. and. Sick. Kind of just built it from there up, man. And then eventually got, um, like, hired a retail chick that was, like, also a graphic designer that could help out, make coffees in the morning, <laughs> sell stuff in the day, do some design for me. And kind of just, like, built it up, like, step by step. Um, that's At that point, then, I, like, brought on some investors just because we were growing quite fast and needed to raise some um, money. So you could have more stock so you can keep up with the That's 3PL. The, and yeah, 3PL. like, I mean, we didn't have a 3PL. We were sending everything ourselves. Sending it, ourselves. Yeah. yeah. But that's like, that's probably one of the, like, the harder lessons, like, within our industry is um, your, so you usually have, like, four seasons a year, like your autumn, and then your winter, your spring, and then your high summer or summer. Um, with by the time you like pay a deposit to your factory, make the goods, which usually takes like 60 days, ship them, start selling them. You haven't actually been paid by the wholesalers at that stage, but you're also then placing your order for your next range. So there's always cash this flow problem, man, always cash flow problems. Mm. And that was, that was like a hard lesson. Um, yeah. When it's not general pants doing all the orders, when it's coming out of your own pocket, you start yeah. to realize that there's yeah. and like numbers lot. didn't come naturally, naturally to me at the start. And I just, like just went hammer at learning man like yeah. like any like my personal mba books like any business books profit first was another one i remember reading um yeah just hammered myself i was like i need to learn this stuff and yeah just went through the gauntlet of 
learning business man that was basically it yeah that's so interesting yeah i yeah. find i'm like kind of going through that stage with my business right now where it's like you can be good at something mm. but then not have the business skills and then it makes it just so difficult trying to learn to structure a business like i had a um criminal lawyer on recently and he's like i'm a really good lawyer yeah but to build a lawyer practice it's a completely whole different skill and i'm sure he would have learned that very quick from being a really good designer understanding the product understanding how to source them yeah but then understanding how to scale the business is like yeah, something it was, it was complete blind spot and you don't know what you don't know until mm. you get thrown in there right seriously yeah <laughs> so what were some of the mistakes you made that you wish you did, that not you wish you didn't that you really learned some stuff from in those formative year or two that you can maybe give some advice to somebody who's pretty creative and thinks they've got some cool designs but they're like all right i want to start a brand what's yeah. a mistake or two that you wish i think like i just remember getting burnt like a couple of times from like smaller retail accounts that i would give credit to so i'd ship them the stock and then they just would never pay their bills like they'd either go under or like just ignore payments and it's like, I remember this one in WA who owed me like 30 grand. He still owes me 30 grand to this day, but just ghosted me. And, you know, like 30 grand in stock is a shitload of money when you're a small brand. Massive. And this, you know, and it happened a few times. So I think like that was, I kind of then like, oh, maybe I need to start getting them to sign credit terms and getting lawyers involved at the start and making them like have director's guarantees on the stock. And, you know, all of these things that you just kind of don't know at the start. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were, that was probably like some of the biggest ones and just like not knowing my numbers, I think, you know, like I was, I knew the cost price and I knew what my gross profit was like per garment, but then just not knowing how much um, future funding that I would need um, to keep funding the business as it kept growing because it was growing really fast. Like it was growing at over 100% a year wow. um, and any business, you know, growing over 100% a year, you're just going to always run out of cash. You know, yeah. like the the grow is so steep that mm. the capital needed to f keep future funding going is, you know, always super tough and challenging if you're not raising money all the time. So it's like, oh, you're borrowing and you're taking on debt and mm. um, kind of bootleg stuff's like so hard. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Yeah, so they, those were kind of challenges um, along the way. Um, I ended up um, selling that business to um, Culture Kings at the end of the day at the end um they were like one of our biggest suppliers at the time a wholesale account um so we like we ended up being able to scale to a pretty like decent number um and selling kind of internationally like urban outfitters and we were in general pants and glue and the iconic and um all those kind of key stores but i'd just taken on so much debt with that business um which was just super gnarly um and then, yeah, kind of got put in a position where I had to sell it, basically. Wow. Um, and that was pretty tough, like mentally. How many um, people did you have working for you by the time you got to that stage? Um, we had four retail stores as well at that stage. Wow. So we had one in Melbourne, one in Brisbane, Surrey Hills and Bondi. Um, there would have been at least 15. There was five in our head office. Um, yeah, it was tough, man. Like to, you know, these these staff members had been there for like, you know, they were just like your, your mates basically. Yeah. 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 And to like have to break it to them that, you know, we're moving on and like the business is basically going under and I'm selling it. Like it was, it was tough, man. Yeah. What was that like? Tell me sort of what was going through your head then. I can imagine some very sleepless nights and oh. I think that's something that we generally forget. Yeah in business and like when obviously this podcast is kind mm. of backbined by mental health yeah 
the fact that you see somebody, oh, they've sold their business, like epic. They must be so happy. It's like, yeah. but the stuff that comes with that and quite often like what's actually going on behind the scenes and like not deals are always as sweet as they look from the outside. Like 100%. yeah, what was your mental health like through that stage? And what's this, your early thirties when yep. this is happening? Yeah, yeah. It was really, really tough, man. Like anxiety through the roof. Um, like did you make some money from the sale or did you just basically get the debts no. paid off so you yeah and I got into I got left with a heap of debt wow. like I didn't come out clean on it at all um, and lost a lot of people some money as well and so that was I'd always taken this business as in they were investing on me so I took that debt personally um, which was pretty gnarly because um, one of them was like a really good friend um, and yeah I mean yeah, it was really, really tough, man. Like mentally, like waking up every day, it was just like, I literally just felt like I was a firefighter, like going in every day, putting out fires. Like there was no enjoyment in there. Like, you know, as a designer, um, you know, I probably spent 5% of my time designing. So mm-hmm. all the passion like that I loved in that business had like gone. It was like, okay, who's, who am I getting hammered from today? What suppliers calling me, like having a go? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, why isn't the store working? So you know, it was just a, a total growing too fast problem. Yeah, that was, that, a, that was a, that, that was the question I was going to yeah. ask. If you could redo it again, mm. what do you think? Where do you want to, where would have you like pulled the handbrake a little bit? How could have you avoided the situation you got in that time? Because yeah. obviously we'll catch up to the um, brand you're running now, but yeah. where do you think you went wrong in that first one? Um, yeah, I think just taking on too much debt and, using a supplier um that kind of when you say taking on too much debt explain yep. that for someone who doesn't really understand business because i'm yeah, someone yeah. who's got a merch brand i still kind of like i've always just bootlegged everything so i've never yeah i was talking to someone about it the other day like i could start expanding outways if i wanted but i'm just trying to like my merch is always just going to be like a side thing yeah but obviously being a clothing brand yeah, how how do you acquire debt? Because I'm sure there's people that are probably laughing at the question, but I'm sure there's probably more people who are <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I don't get it. So there's we had kind of two types. Um, when I needed to raise cash, I sold down equity in my business, um, which meant I didn't own as much as I used to. And uh, quite a lot of those terms would be like, okay, you know, we'll give you this much for the business, but we'll also give you a loan for like 200 grand or something. Yeah, And so then the business would be paying that debt off. I then also had supplier um, loans as well that like the factory over in China um, was giving us terms and we were paying down that as well, which were super gnarly terms. And that basically meant that the business wasn't able to grow because we were paying down so much debt. And so it was kind of like a lose-lose cycle. Um, You know, our debt levels got higher than what the business could handle basically at the end of the day. Um, But I think like, you know, one of the we had like a lot of success in our women's active wear um we had kylie jenner wear it like eight times with all the kardashians wear it as well and i think like looking back on it i think that was um my ego getting in the way in terms of like that was probably the biggest opportunity of my life like i remember the day that kylie jenner wore uh, how'd like, you get it into her hands we just gifted it and it's like crate literally just found like her um agency overseas sent it to her house with like oh see just see what so happens and then through. next on she gets packed like walking to the like, studio with her like green hair with like these tights have like eight dead logos on them so like you literally could not miss it and she had like i don't know like 20 million followers on instagram mm. and um 
that night, like my phone, like if you've run your own Shopify store, you get the ching, yeah. you know, and I woke up and it was just going, ching, 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 ching. and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, are we getting hacked? Like, <laughs> like this isn't normal, right? And we did like, I think it was like 30 or $40,000 in these tights overnight. Did I, you have the stock? No, I put all my stock at Unlimited. Mm. I was like, fuck, I'm not losing like oh, it. Right. <laughs> I've always thought about that. If yeah, somehow yeah. somebody wears my stuff and it starts yeah. going crazy. Yeah, I was like, I'm just going to solve this. This is a tomorrow yeah. problem. Right now, it's like, let's just like crank this. Um, but the brand itself um, at the time, it was like more of a men's street denim brand. And then we did this like small activewear capsule and that really took off. Um, and in hindsight, like I look back on it, I probably should have pivoted the brand because we were early with that. Like yeah. there were, you know, there was... A th- I don't think even like LSKD had kind of like made the pivot to activewear at that stage. You PA know? Nation had kind of just started. Just literally, literally just started. Um, and so I feel like my biggest opportunity, which was an ego thing for me, was like I could have just switched this brand into a woman's activewear brand and it could have been fucking massive. Yeah. Um, but my, you know, my ego was like, I don't want to wear like, you know, I don't want to own a brand with that. Like me being a designer, I was like, there was no passion in you it. wanted to make stuff that you'd wear. Right. And that was... Um, I'm in that dilemma right now with right? designers. I'm like, yeah. I love that. but Yeah. And that's like a, a tough thing being a designer. Like, you know, you have to know what your customer is, but you also kind of want to know, like, be passionate about what you design. So it's all this kind of like push-pull kind of situation of like, you know, what works versus do I actually like it and would I wear it? You know, like... Is it going to sell at the end mm. of the day? Yeah. So once the business gets sold to Culture Kings, yep. what was that next stage like for you? I know you so, said before you kind of went through some mental health stuff. Do you want to kind of go into that a little bit? How yeah, are you yeah. feeling after that stage? So that was, yeah, like that. the downhill slide was probably a good six months. I remember like giving myself a date, being like, look, if I can't turn it around by this date, I'm done. Like I kind of mentally couldn't handle it anymore. Um, you know, I was, a couple of things that really helped me was Vedic meditation. Um, I did the Bondi meditation course probably two years earlier than that, um, which was a game changer for me. Like it was a, able to make me like super focused and have clarity during all of my days, but it offset my anxiety massively. Mm. Um, just doing that for 15 minutes in the morning. Um, they kind of usually say try and do 20 in the morning, 20 in the other, but I kind of found like my sweet spot was usually 15 minutes in the morning, which I still do to this day, like every single day. Um, and if I don't like, I feel feel like I'm on edge, (laughs) which is weird. Um, I don't do it on the weekends, but Monday to Friday, it's part of my like routine, like get up, meditate straight away and then go for a walk, go for a surf, go to the gym, whatever I'm doing. Yeah. It's yeah. so cool. Meditation's like so many people you hear yeah. it's to save them and give them that sort of structure in their morning to send yeah. them off in their day with a bit more of a calm and sort of clarity to their mind. So the six months comes, it doesn't get turned around and yeah. you have to sell to culture kings yeah where where are you at when that happens where's your head what are you going to do next like in a way it was like dead it's like yeah like i was position to be in for a lot of people oh man for sure like i took on like big six uh, yeah big six figures in debt off the back of debt like it wasn't like i was getting out clean so i kind of had opportunities straight off the bat to go get hired from as a 
designer to other brands, like really like pretty decent pay. Um, my, is that on your mindset? Like I just got to spend some years paying this debt off or is it? Yeah. I, but it's also totally. like, it's hard to pay off six figure debt just by totally. a general wage. hundred percent, man. And that was like, my dad gave me really kind of good advice when I was younger. He was like, both of my parents have always worked for themselves. My dad's, um, owns like hunting, fishing, retail shops and, um, New Zealand and my mum's owns an interior design business. So I've always been exposed to my parents working for themselves. But my dad um, gave me some really valuable advice in my mid-20s, I reckon it was. And he was like, you know, between the age 25 and your mid-30s, you can afford to fail and start again. You know, you don't usually have a mortgage. You don't usually have kids and stuff. So you just need to put it on the line and fucking go for it. So I felt like at the end of dead, like it was a failure to me. Mm. Um, I was like, my story doesn't end here. Like I need, like I've learned so much from this business that I know what not to do this time. Did people from the outside think it was a success because you'd sold the Culture Kings? There was a few articles that came out that um, listed like how much debt we'd owed. Um, And, you know, the supplier kind of dragged my name through the mud as much as he could, which was pretty gnarly. Yeah. Um, so I kind of just went like proper quiet in the background for like a good year. Um, but in the sale of that business, I pitched a new brand and I, um, I've known Simon Bed, the owner of Culture Kings, like for a long time. Um, cause I sold to him for ages. Um, so I basically said, look, man, like this is where, what I want to do. Like I want to design a brand that's like a technical streetwear brand that's built for the outdoors. I want it to tie into my lifestyle of like me growing up in New Zealand, being a skier, tying those kind of technical alpine functions into a streetwear brand. Sent him like a, like a whole pitch deck of like, this is what it is. This is who our customer is. This is what it looks like. This is the brand name. Um, and he was like, sweet, let's do it. And it was called Pyra back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's a funny story about the name Pyra. Like, so during this like exit phase of dead, um, my brain was already like, I need to start a new brand. Like I have to, I've always been um, thought like four letter or like dead um, Nike four letter brand names worked really well. Cause good. that's, what's that? Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that, it, that's symmetrical, right? So they always look good. Um, I was driving in Sydney one day and I saw this billboard and it had pyramid written on it, but it had P-Y-R-A and then M-I-D under it. And my eyes just instantly got drawn to pirate at the top. And I was like, fuck, that's such a good name. Went, went back home, like Googled it, and it was like Pyra meant born of flame in ancient Greek. And I was like, fucking boom. Like, that is mm. such a strong name. I don't know if you know, but like Nike's. Nike's yeah, yeah. Goddess yeah. of victory. Yeah, exactly. It's ancient Greek for victory. And I was like, this is just like the gods have aligned on this for me. Um, went and like, you know, you do the like classic like um, Google search of like Pyra apparel, Pyra on Instagram, Pyra everything. And it was all free. And I was like... Yeah. Like I I bought the domain like for like twenty dollars or something, and I was like, "This is a dream result for like a new brand." Um, so yeah, I pitched it to Culture Kings. He was then like, "You know, if we're gonna do this together, um, you know, I need to move." I was living in Bondi at the time. I was like, "Um, you need to move up to Queensland, um, because I head office Culture Kings is in Brisbane." Um, and I was like, "All right, sweet." Like said to Erin, my like fairly new girlfriend at the time, like this is the opportunity. Um, and we just like packed our bags one day and just moved up here. And 
yeah, started the next journey. Like so, it was never on the agenda to move here. It was just, but I felt like at that stage in my life, like it was an era that I kind of wanted to leave because of the negativity with that old business. It was like, fuck, this is a great opportunity just to get out, start clean. Yeah. Reset. Yeah. So what was that next couple steps starting a whole new business, trying to mm. f- start from the ground up again and obviously having culture Kings as a partner in it. How did that look? Were you, as like a culture kings like in-house brand technically pyra or yeah, were you kind te- of by yourself building the whole brand and pyra i mean and yeah um culture kings was yeah so i yeah like f- the challenges with my old business that i wanted to solve for this new one i was like if i'm gonna do it again i want to do it that with someone that's able to fund it the whole time you know, I'll give up equity, majority equity from the get-go just to know that I can just focus on brand marketing and design all yeah. day and not have to worry about warehouse, stock, finance, cash flow, counting, all of that shit I just didn't need to mm. worry about from the get-go. But I also wanted to be able to grow this brand really quickly. Um, you know, Culture Kings is a $300 million business. Us to start a new brand inside Culture Kings meant that Pyra could grow incredibly fast way way faster than my old brand and it meant that you know it was able to get exposure um through a shitload of customers and you know you can grow a brand in kind of two ways you can grow it really fast but it's expensive um or you can grow it really like slow and like build it more legacy and so I kind of wanted to build something kind of in between. I wanted to get it off the ground really quickly and then kind of find my place in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent like a good year after dead before, because it kind of takes ages to launch a brand because like your production is like six months out before you even launch, right? Yeah, and let's talk about Pyre in particular yeah. because I've been, I must have been one of the first people you started sending product to. Cause I you feel literally like I, were. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I've been, like I, did, I thought it was maybe around for a bit longer, but <laughs> yeah, that was would have been like three, four years ago now. So this would just started our fourth year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I must have been one of the, your first kind of people who's been running the product and I've loved it the whole way along because yeah. it's um a balance between like, looking really cool but actually being super functional like a lot of your jackets and stuff and the pants and your snow gear now like i rode um last year in your snow gear like so sick yeah so what was um the concept behind making stuff that was super technical and how hard was the design process having to go back and forth with designers and manufacturers to land on a product that actually worked but also was going to sell yeah i think like the the biggest thing that i had on my side is I was able to get a salary straight off the bat, um, but it gave me a good six month time of planning and preparation. So I spent so much time figuring out exactly what this business was. Like, what does it stand for? You know, to inspire people to get back outdoors in the elements. What are its key brand pillars? It's street, outdoors, sport, and then eventually snow. So I spent like a huge amount of time doing our brand guidelines. So I was super laser focused, clear on exactly what the brand is, what it stood for, what our brand colors were literally from the start. It was something I never even bothered doing with my other brand. Mm. So I felt like when Pyra launched into the market, people just got it. Like it felt like a brand that had, was already big. Like people behind it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it had like a clear, you know, statement of exactly what it was. I also was able to tell 
um, pretty good storytelling from the start um, because I was able to tie it in with my own experiences. I really put the face, me as the face of the brand to it straight away, um, which was something that I didn't really do in my previous brand. Um, so I wanted to make, you know, put me at the front and tell my story of, you know, growing up in New Zealand, being a scare, being a streetwear designer, bridging the gap between the two and designing, you know, you know, Pyra is a technical streetwear brand built for the outdoors. And so it was super clear from the start. Um, and in terms of the product, you know, pro I was able to spend a heap of time, like making sure that the product was exactly right for the market, you know, using the right, you know, recycled nylons, using 3M Thinsulite featherless down insulation, all of our puffer jackets, you know, building the sustainability thing in from the start, because I felt like, you know, if we're going to do it, I might as well do it right from the get go and get everything aligned. Mm. Yeah. So how, yeah, building that was at a completely different experience, having sort of the backing and the yeah. structure and the um, partnership with Culture Kings. Was it yeah, way it just, different or did you still have to build it as its own standalone brand? Yeah, I still had to build it as a standalone brand. But, you know, as I kind of mentioned before, with my old business, I was probably only spending 5% of my time on brand and design. Now I'm spending 100% on it. So that was basically what I was accountable for is building this brand from the, the ground up, you know, doing all the campaign shoots, doing, you know, the website, the product, you know, building these like supplier relationships, which I already had in China um, and building a community as well. And that was like something that has been really important. Um, you know, you mentioned that you were one of the first of like on our gifting list, but that was like a super intentional thing, you know, like going through kind of my network of like, who are people that are well aligned to the brand, not just influencers, mm -hmm. but like actually people who live and breathe the outdoors that are well aligned and, you know, not trying to land the Kylie Jenner again, just focus on building people who are authentic to the yeah. brand. Cause that's like, I think that's key these days. You know, a lot of people see through this paid top end influencer stuff now, and it doesn't get the cut through as it does, you know, for us, it's like, I prefer building a super loyal community um, around the brand organically from the get go. Um, you know, I think, you know, what we've kind of been able to start doing with like these pyro hike clubs has been really dope. Um, you know, like building, doing like we've been doing them in um, Goldie. So we go up to like Springbrook or whatever and, um, you know, just do these community events and just get people like literally outdoors into the elements and we go do a hike together and, you know, it's been a great way to live and breathe the brand. Um, you know, people experience the product and, you know, as it goes, just kind of goes back to our bigger mission is just to get people outdoors and to inspire them to get out in the elements. Yeah, I bloody love that. Like I said, yeah. I've loved wearing the product for the last couple of years. We've got a bunch of new stuff on now for anyone who's watching. This is maybe one of my favorite shirts I've ever put on. But um, where do you see the future going? What's the horizon <laughs> looking like? Or how big do you want it to get? Do you, are you over in the States? Or are you growing internationally yet with Pyra? Where yep. do you see the growth coming um, with this brand now? Yeah, so we've only just started... I kind of spent the first three years of the brand just building our e-com, building our direct-to-consumer business, building the relationship through Culture Kings, but we've recently been able to um, do wholesale. So we've pushed into David Jones for last season, which has been going really good. Um, we're aiming to do, we'll do the Iconic coming up this year, um, aim to do General Pants or Glue as well later in the year. We've just signed um, like distribution in New Zealand as well with STEM over there. So it'll be good to, you know, we send a shitload of product over to 
um, NZ through our online store anyway. So it'll be good to start building up some retail relationships over there. Um, and we've recently signed with um, a agency over in the US as well. So um, that's a whole bigger, bigger plan over there. Um, you know, to pick up those big retailers there, you really need to be investing in time and um, team and support over there. Oh, but stock, ready to go. Exactly, man. But, you know, I've always wanted to build this brand as global. Um, you know, I want to get it to be, you know, 100 mil plus and take it massive. Um, you know, we, I want to roll out our own retail stores in the next year as well. Um, I think that's a really important part um, for Pyra. You know, because our product is a technical, more high-priced product, you know, people do really want to touch and feel the product. Um, and, you know, experiential retail is, you know, the way to go. If You know, if you can open up a store and you can create a community where someone can come into the store and be like, I get it. You know, it's mm. in your right brand colors. It's got the whole product there. They can live and breathe the brand, the brand ethos, that, and just, you know, the whole kind of aesthetic in the store. So it aligns. Yeah. yeah, just create a full experience. Well, I think it's yeah. bloody epic. Hopefully, I'll leave in the show notes um, links to Pi. You can go check it out. Might even try to get a cheeky 5% discount code or something for anyone who listens to this podcast yeah, up here because I'm sure there'll be people who want to have a bit of a look. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm sure you've probably seen me wearing Pyra stuff over the last couple of years. I pretty much I live in Pyra, good human or yeah. Fisher stuff because my yeah. sister gives me it. So <laughs> yeah. that's kind of my... um three different clothing labels that I live in. But man, yeah. it's been um epic to hear the story and get to know the journey that it's taken you to get to where you are from your upbringing in New Zealand, yeah. being a skier. Like, I didn't even know any of this stuff. This is why I love the podcast. It's so cool. You like get yeah, to know yeah. someone who you've been connecting with That's why I was years. frothing out when I saw you go um, snowboarding with Alex last year. I was like, oh, man, I need to get you guys some stuff. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> He's in Canada right now. I just saw him. He sent me a photo this morning yeah. um, on the snow wearing the pirate jacket. Oh, like, no way. Oh, wanna... That's awesome. <laughs> That's the bad thing about snow gear. Yeah. It's like you don't get to wear it until you're at the snow. And I'm like, I've yeah. got a season pass this year, so I'm excited to get down the snow yeah, and um, get to wear my stuff a bit more this year. But, man, yeah been epic to get to know your story a bit better it's yeah. been super fun learning the journey of pyro but also learning your story but there's one question that i do finish all my podcasts with and you might not have heard any episodes that might be a curveball for you but the question <laughs> is what does being a good human mean to sam Moore? um i think just being being a good friend um is super important you know i've lost a couple of friends in the last 12 months and you know that that is pretty brutal and it's a bit of a reality hit home. Um, you know, I think, you know, touching base with your friends all the time, you know, just checking in on them is super important. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can't control in life, but you know, if you can be a good human and be a good friend, then, you know, that's one step closer in the right direction. Yeah. I love that. I feel like so often we get so consumed in our own internal world and forget yeah. that everybody else is going through those yeah. same internal battles. So there's sometimes just those, little phone calls you can make to a friend a little yeah. text message checking in like it's crazy how far it can go and like you said yeah. losing some friends this year it's um yeah it's been the last couple of years has just been crazy so i think the yeah. more that we can check in in our friends the more we can understand that we all do go through challenging times and need to really try and support people around us um yeah super important but man thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know your story yeah, i awesome, guess last man. thing where can anyone find you socials <clears throat> website i will leave it in the show note but kind yeah of last i mean chance to plug anything that you want to yeah plug. for sure i mean pyraelements.com is um our main website p-y-r-a p-y-r-a pyra yep yeah. um and then just our socials is pyra underscore underscore then mine i post like a lot of behind the scenes sort of stuff on um, mine which is sam moore underscore high 
Yep. Epic. Well, it'll all be in the show notes. Been absolutely epic getting to catch up. Make sure you go check out Pyro online. Go look at all their stuff. Um, like I said, I love wearing it. I'm very grateful that I get to be part of the journey. And yeah, thanks so much for jumping on. Good You're humans. a good man. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 